Welcome back to Stories to Dismember. You're hanging out with me, your host, Aaron. And I'm here with my two co-hosts, Ariel and Azrael. Salutations. Greetings. <laughs> this week we are covering the movie The Village from 2004. And it was directed by M. Night Shyamalan. And this one is um, Ariel's pick, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, he wrote the screenplay, directed it, starred in it. Anything else? I think he produced it. Did he do the score? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. It was uh, Howard. <laughs> <laughs> he even burned it to DVD and sent it out. Just kidding. All right. <laughs> Did he do anything else? Did he do like the, um, the voiceover work? <laughs> <laughs> Sound effects. The sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> this movie—I can't believe this movie is twenty years old. That's wild. That's crazy. Yeah, and, it holds up. Yeah. Well, like we were talking before, the cast—I mean, you got Bryce Dallas Howard, uh, Wakanda Phoenix, Agent Brody. The entire cast is like star-studded. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's yeah, no one heard. I didn't recognize in this movie. Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> yeah, Sigourney Weaver. Judy Greer. She's in it cartoon what's that cartoon called uh solar opposites no it's the one with the they're like secret agents or something like that archer archer yeah Yeah. fran krantz and jesse eisenberg i think jesse eisenberg super young you might miss him and michael pitt too that was the guy that was in funny games he was also um, super young in this too it's just kind of wild seeing how young they were Mm -hmm. um they were like what 18 years old in this yeah, seems like, like it that. yeah yeah hell i was 18 years old when this came out just kidding <laughs> <laughs> i was an old man in 2004 i admit it all right well ariel i guess you're our guide for this movie into the village or out of the village how are we, how are we gonna do it in the uh, we're gonna go into the village all right we're in the village already we're it's in 1897 the <laughs> Yeah, so I just wanted to cover just a few other actors that are kind of noted in this movie that you might recognize. Uh, Sigourney Weaver, Walking Phoenix, Adrian Brody, William Hurt, Bryce Dallas Howard, Brendan Gleeson, Frank Collision, um, and then the others that we mentioned. So uh, quite a few actors in this movie that you will say, I think I know that person from this other thing, and you'll be right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this movie starts out with... Uh, Brennan Gleason, and he's saying his final goodbyes to a very small coffin that we know to be a child. The headstone on the date, it says that he passed away in 1897. So that kind of tells you when this movie is taking place. And this is a very kind of picturesque landscape. Um, There's a bunch of people standing in a crowd watching him kind of grieving his son, and uh, he's just, you know, talking to his son, saying, who's going to hold my hand now? And he's very, very sad. But might I add, too, he's a lot older, too, to have such a young son. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I'm just quite shocked that a man in his 60s, you know, has a seven-year-old son. So, um, but uh, the whole town is, is, you know, mourning this loss. And it seems like they don't really lose people very often, uh, which is why this is a big deal. And uh, the town is very small. It's very American colonial, um, you know, what you would think of in 1897 in America. So they're, you know, having dinner all together. This is one of those kind of 
communities where everyone eats at the same time. Everyone does everything at the same time. So when they're eating, um, there's like this howling sound. It almost sounds like wind, like a wind howling through the trees. And it's pretty eerie and ominous. Um, This movie, the way the cinematography is, there's a lot of like panning in and panning out. And it's very effective with the suspense in this movie. And so we get a shot of the woods. And then Adrian Brody's character, uh, his name is Noah. He just starts like laughing uncontrollably. And the way he's laughing and clapping his hands is kind of indicative of what, if you've ever seen that movie, uh, What's Eating Gilbert Grape? That's kind of the character that he is playing in this movie. So a character with um, autism who is uh, looks to be high needs or at least uh, maybe not high needs, maybe medium needs uh, because he can still do things on his own. He just, you know, has, um, um, I guess, issues with uh, getting in fights and stuff like that. And, you know, just um, somewhat... Uh, I guess, aggressive tendencies at times. So mm-hmm. throughout the movie, we'll kind of see that. And I have questions about what you guys think about his character um, after we review this. So we see these women who are sweeping the patio to the to the house. And all these houses are made out of wood. It's very colonial looking. They notice like this little red flower uh, growing up through the patio. And they you know rush over to it, pick it really quickly, and then bury it and to hide it. So we already... Uh, kind of get an idea that the color red is is not favored in this town. And so um, not a lot is going to be kind of given to us up front, um, but things will get explained as you start watching this film. Um, we see that there is these cloaked watchmen. They're wearing the color yellow, and they're in this uh, kind of makeshift uh, wooden tower. And they're looking into the forest, and they're watching kind of the forest to make sure that uh, nothing comes in or nothing goes out, it seems, but we don't really know what they're looking for. We see the next scene where a bunch of uh, small elementary school children gather around a dead baby goat that has been skinned, but not eaten. So just the head was left uh, with the fur on it, and then the rest of the, um, the pelt was skinned off the baby goat, which is very disturbing in this film. And if you don't like seeing animals uh, in that state, then this movie might not be for you because there is a lot of scenes like that. And I'm not quite sure. I would I would want to hope that M. Night Shyamalan would not use real animals. I don't think he could in that, in that state. So it's most likely fake, <laughs> but it looks very real. The, the guy that approaches the kids, um, he's played by William Hurt. His name's Edward. And he's kind of like the mayor of the town. He comes up to the kids and he says, you know, who did this or who found this? Kids can't really say anything. They're just kind of all shocked. And so they go inside the classroom. They're all sitting around having a discussion about what they just saw. And one of the little girls says, um, "It the thing that did it to the animal is those who we don't speak of. Kind of like a, a Voldemort complex. You know, <laughs> we don't speak their name. We don't talk about them. Um, if you acknowledge them, it only makes them, you know, manifest or whatever. Uh, so they're you know, describing this creature. And this is kind of where we get more information on the creature, where we are told information through him describing it to the kids, which I think is an effective use of, um, you know, not being super pandering to the audience. (laughs) But uh, they're describing sort of like a, a chupacabra kind of creature that eats meat. And, um, 
Do you guys know what a chupacabra is? Have you ever seen depictions of it? Yes. Yeah. It's like a goat sucker. Yeah, yeah. It's a goat sucker. Right. Exactly. And it kind of looks like a dog hybrid with another kind of weird bipedal creature. Mm -hmm. It's a cryptid, I guess, right? It is a cryptid. Yeah. It's a Mexican cryptid, I believe. Um, So the it's kind of what they're describing in a sense. Uh, that's the only thing that I can really kind of, uh, glean from at this point. Uh, spoiler alert. It looks nothing like a chupacabra. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> no, it looks pretty um, cool though. Yeah. Oh yeah. Dude, the, the monsters in this movie are just fantastic. And we'll get to that when, when we, um, you know, get to the scene where they show up. But uh, he, you know, the the mayor of the town, the leader of the town, he's kind of reiterating the lore, the folklore of the town and how there I guess there was like an incident several years ago where these monsters breached uh, their village, their town. And, you know, they had to defend themselves or, you know, at least hide from the monsters so that um, nobody would be taken. And um, this is kind of where, you know, we kind of tie in okay well maybe the color red maybe these monsters have something to do with it and then i'm thinking did the guy's son die did he get killed by a monster you know so there's still a lot that you could try to come up with at this point to to explain things um so we get introduced to joaquin phoenix who plays lucius which is a very cool name i love that name lucius and um he comes in and he is in this it looks like a town hall kind of building. And there's a bunch of old people there uh, that are considered the elders. Uh, They're the ones that kind of make the decisions of the town. They're kind of like the council of the town. And he approaches them and he looks very timid and he's very soft-spoken as Joaquin Phoenix usually is in movies. And, you know, he says, I want to leave the town or this village and, and go out into the town's, you know, outside of here. And I want to go get medicine because, you know, the little boy, God, I forgot his name, but we never get introduced to him, but it's Augustus's son or whatever. You know, he died of an Ill- illness that uh, maybe could have been cured or could have helped him if he had medicine. And, and Lucius wants to go out and see if there's any cure out there that he could go get. And, you know, with these whole monsters being out in the forest, he makes the argument that he has a very pure heart and he's very innocent and maybe they will not attack him if he goes out there. So, you know, the elders aren't really up for this. They kind of say no, but they're, they're not totally dismissive of him. They just said, you know, that's very honorable, but you know, not going to happen. More baby animals keep showing up dead and skinned and, um, it's it's getting out of hand. So it seems like uh, there's a lot of fear in the town. Uh, something's amping up and it's not very helpful to anybody. But what is helpful is that uh, we get introduced to Kitty and uh, she's a very fun character in this movie and she's very happy go lucky. And she, you know, despite all this fear and doom and gloom, she is only thinking about marriage right now and she wants to be married to Lucius. Uh, because he's a very honorable man and and uh, it's a very small town. We'll just put it that way. <laughs> so she asks her dad for permission and she's like, hey, I, I want to marry Lucius. And he's like, okay, well, why isn't Lucius asking? And she goes, oh, well, he doesn't know that we're getting married yet. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't told him yet. 
Yeah, I haven't told them yet. (laughs) And they speak in a very colonial way. Like everything is very poetic and everything is kind of like that movie, The Witch, but not as flowery, (laughs) not as over the top as The Witch. And so she goes to profess her love to Lucius, which is, this is a very funny scene because she's like, let's scream it from, you know, the mountaintops that we love each other. And why should we hold it in? And she's just very, uh, <laughs> like, when you think about who Lucius is and her, they just don't work. You know, she's very extroverted. He's very introverted in the opposite sense. And he turns her down. And so we get the next scene where she's like crying and her sister is, you know, singing to her to try to calm her down. It's just funny because she professes her love and then the next scene is her crying. <laughs> and so um, the next scene that we get, we um, we see, you know, Fran Kranz and Jesse Einberg. And they're like super young in this movie. It's just crazy seeing them this young. But they're playing like this. Uh, they're like a bunch of teenagers, you know, young adults. And they're playing this game of chicken where uh, Jesse Einberg's character is like having his hands out like a scarecrow. It looks very creepy. And he's got his back to the forest. And I guess you're supposed to hold out your arms like that as long as you can to, to see how long, you know, you can do it without getting scared. And we find out later that Lucius uh, has the, the record right now. So everybody's trying to beat his record. And so they get freaked out and they're just messing with each other. Okay. So, Lucius decides to go over to Augustus's house because he's he's really distraught about the boy's death as well. He feels he takes it very personal. And we find out that him and the little boy had a lot in common. They just kind of seemed to get each other. They were very similar in their personalities. And while he's, you know, gathering wood and put it, you know, stacking it up for Augustus, He's kind of, you know, talking to him and saying how sorry he is, you know, the guy's, you know, mourning his loss. And they're talking and and Augustus kind of looks over to a box, a wooden box. And we kind of see this box and all the elders have it. And it's kind of ominous, but not um, just seems like there's secrets in there. And we don't really get told too much. Um, it's just one of those things where the camera pans in on it. So we know it's important. But um we go next to um, a scene where we see Ivy again. This is Kitty's sister, the one that was consoling her earlier. We see Ivy. She's sitting down and uh, she gets up and we realize that she is blind because she has a walking stick and it's like a wooden, you know, kind of old school walking stick. And she notices that Noah is, uh, you know, picking on some teenagers or kind of getting into some squabbles and, and, fighting, uh, but like kind of play fighting. And Noah seems to take it a little too far. Um, and he's, you know, kind of beaten on these kids a little too hard because he's an adult and um, he, he doesn't quite know his strength. So she, you know, takes him over to what they what's called the quiet room um, where he's, you know, supposed to go into kind of like as a timeout, but also to um, get him to, you know, I guess, calm down and collect his thoughts. But it makes him very uneasy. He does not like being left alone. Um, And he is very attached to Ivy. And we get that from their conversation where she makes a deal with him to promise to never hit anyone again. And you can tell there is a very fond affection between the two of them. It's, It's a very brotherly and sisterly affection that they have for each other. Although, you know, Noah may not quite understand, um, like it may go a little bit farther than that for him, 
and maybe he doesn't quite understand. He's very protective of her and very possessive and in a sense. So, you know, there's just like little kind of heartfelt moments in this movie that I like that keep it kind of interesting and and the pacing's really nice. We find out that, uh, you know, Ivy's very perceptive, not because she's blind. I think that does help her a lot, but she's also very keen and she's just very sweet and nice and funny. And, um, you know, she and uh, Noah, she was like playing a trick on him where she says, let's race to the top of the, I forgot what rock it's called. Do you guys remember? I think resting rock. Resting. That's what it is. Yeah. Yep, so rock. she goes, let's, let's see who can, you know, run the fastest to resting rock. And he goes, no, you're going to cheat. And she goes, no, I'm not. Wait, is that the church bell? And he goes to look and she like books it. <laughs> so I thought it was pretty funny. So they get up there and, uh, and Lucius is up there. I think he's eating something and he shares it with uh, Noah and they're kind of having this conversation and uh, Noah goes off and, you know, goes and wanders, you know, looking for something and uh, Ivy is kind of putting the moves on uh, on Lucius, but in a very, uh, very around the bush way. And she's flirting with him and he's very reserved. Um, he's a very interesting character, uh, to say the least. But she's just kind of, you know, telling him that she has a fondness for him and that he stopped um, holding her hand to like help her. Uh, walk around the town at a certain point in their life. And that was probably around the age of puberty. Um, and so she was just saying how she used to, or I think one time she faked kind of falling down to see if he would catch her and he just didn't. And she just felt very, I guess she felt that things had changed and she knew that he liked her and she was just letting him know that she knew. So then Noah comes back and he's like putting stuff in her hands to like, you know, uh, play tricks on her because they play tricks on each other all the time. And he puts red berries in her hands, but she doesn't know it's these red berries. And, you know, Lucius is like, we, that's the bad color. Noah, where did you find this? And so they, he shows them and it seems like maybe Noah has gone into the forest before. And so this becomes like a very big problem. Um, Also in this interaction, we find out that um, Ivy, she says that some people in her life have auras. She mentions that Lucius has an aura. Her father has an aura. It seems to be people that she's very close with have these auras. And she kind of jokes and pokes fun at the fact that she won't tell she won't tell Lucius what his aura color is. So that does come into play later on. So again, Lucius goes to the elders and, um, you know, he tells them, like, we think that Noah went out into the into the woods and he didn't get harmed. The The monsters have not attacked him. So this further proves my theory that if I go out there, they won't attack me either. And I can go out and get supplies and medicine. Um, and so, you know, afterwards, Lucius is having like a sit down with his mom, who is uh, played by Sigourney Weaver. And she tells him about the um, the death of his father, how his father died. And she's saying, you know, he was um, killed because he was robbed and I think he was found naked in a creek or something or in an alley. I, I, I forgot what she had mentioned. I think it was like a creek, she said. And um, then we see that she has a wooden box of her own and she refers to it as being like the secrets of her past, you know, that she has buried and 
Um, it just, you know, kind of reminds her of who she, the life that she once had. Um, so we're kind of getting a little bit of a, of a idea here of what these boxes might be. <laughs> I'm curious when you guys first saw this movie, like how far did you get into the movie before you guys found out the Shyamalan twist? I think when I first seen it was at, at well at the end <laughs> or towards the end. Oh really? I think, I think the, yeah, I was only like, I don't know if I was paying attention, like 19, 18 when I saw it. Mm-hmm. So for me, that's when I first noticed. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Yeah. When I first saw, I can't remember when I finally realized it, but you know, on the repeat watching, you kind of see all the clues along the way, so you pick up on it pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah, I think when they started alluding to this box having secrets of their past, I was like, mm. you know, I and again, this is an M Night Shyamalan movie, so you're kind of anticipating something mm-hmm. is not what it seems, right? Yeah. And so that's when here I was like, I bet these people, like, I bet it is not 1897. Like, I didn't know what was in the box, but I was like, I have a feeling that these people are not in the time and space that they say they are. <laughs> um, but I, I I, could not predict the full ending of this movie. There's no way until, like you said, Azrael, until you get to the actual end. <laughs> um, so one of the Watchmen, I think it's played by uh, Michael Pitt. He's, uh, you know, in his yellow cloak and gosh, it looks really cold um, in these scenes. And uh, he sees a red cloaked figure run by and he alerts the town with the bell. Uh, The bell is no good. That means get to your bunkers. And everybody's got like a basement kind of bunker thing. Um, It's not too high tech. It's just a a floorboard that everybody kind of huddles into. Um, So everyone's going inside. It's, you know, kind of crazy. And Ivy's standing out on the porch and she's holding out her hand because she she's waiting for Lucius. And again, this kind of goes back to the story she was telling about how when she fell, he didn't even, you know, put his hand out to, to try and catch her. And so this was her second attempt of getting his attention. And it worked. This is a very like iconic Uh, moment in this movie I think where she's you know standing out there and we see a glimpse of the monster finally which is great we we don't have to wait too long to see the monster in this movie what you can see is that it's wearing obviously a red like wool cloak and there's like these porcupine spines coming out of the back of it and it looks gnarly and it's kind of like hunched over it's really big too it's like I don't know like eight feet tall And um, I don't think at this point we really see the face too much, but it kind of looks like a boar face, which it is. And so it's kind of, and it moves slow, but it can run too, but it's not super quick moving. It doesn't have like, like super strength or whatever. So she's holding out her hand and right as everything's kind of building to a crescendo, the movie kind of slows down. And then we see Lucius grab her hand and spin her around and they run into the bunker and they close it. And there's like this beautiful violin music, just very touching. And it gives you like goosebumps and you're like, Oh my God, I'm so like, you know, I'm, I'm rooting for this couple now, you know, (laughs) cause they love each They love each other so much. And, um, you know, we get the scene of like all these people in their, in their bunkers and they're terrified and they're just having to listen as this monster goes from house to house. And, And so Lucius feels very guilty at this point because he feels like he brought the monster in, like this whole event was his fault because 
in the day prior, we got a scene of him kind of walking the perimeter of the forest. And he actually went out there to kind of look, to try to find those berries of where Noah got them from. And he did find them. But he feels like even that attempt of, uh, you know, going into the forest was the reason why this monster showed up. And he lured it back in uh, with the bad color or whatever, the red color. And so he tells, you know, the elders uh, that he, you know, fudged up and he feels really, really bad. Um, but, you know, they, they're they pretty forgiving. Like this town doesn't like lash people. They're not like super, uh, they're very remorseful people. And I also like that this movie doesn't like lean super heavily on the religion aspect. It just seems to be more focused on the connections between the community, um, which I found was pretty cool. Because mm-hmm. a lot of these movies, it's very religious heavy, like The Witch. <laughs> yeah, there's a, a part later on where you can you can kind of tell that they don't lean heavily on religion. Yeah, M. Night Shyamalan, you know, has uh, like knowledge of of the Christian religion. He's always been very like fascinated with the the parables, you know, and fables in the Bible. But he doesn't really lean too heavily on the scripture at all. It's just sort of like these themes, you know, throughout his films that he mm-hmm. kind of touches on. And he doesn't try to focus too much. I think he doesn't try to pinhole his movie into one type of religion. Um, it's just based on the time period and the way that they're dressed. You're kind of like, I kind of can glean what this, you know, what they believe in. <laughs> so, um, But it, it's more about the the human condition that they believe in and also the the weight of the heart and the soul. So that's kind of their main ad- objective. So Kitty is going to be getting married to uh, uh, Fran Cran's character um, because she, you know, just moved on to the next guy that was around her age. <laughs> <laughs> and so they kind of mentioned that he's kind of a OCD. Like he doesn't even sit back because it might crease his jacket or something. And then later, uh, I think... Ivy goes to like touch Kitty's arm and he's like, she's not going to touch me like that. Is she? (laughs) (laughs) So uh, it moves very quickly throughout this film where they announce that, you know, they're going to be getting married and then boom, we're at the wedding. So there are a bunch of people again, the whole town's there. Can you imagine like being that one person where you're like, Oh, sorry, I couldn't make it. I had something else going on. And they're like, (laughs) really? What did you have going on? We could see you over there. You just don't want to come. Right. It was the only thing going on. We see you over there reading your book. (laughs) Did you guys see the Starbucks cup at the wedding table? No, it was there. No, I'm kidding. Oh, it could have been a mistake. (laughs) That would have been funny, though. It would have been like a Game of Thrones kind of situation. I guess somebody did mention on IMDb on like one of the goofs that at the wedding, uh, a little girl was wearing like a shade of red at the wedding. Mm. And I guess it was just like a continuity thing of like, why was she allowed to like, why would they make red clothing to begin with? Right. So, um, so we're at the wedding. Uh, It's a big deal. Everybody's dancing, having fun. And uh, Sigourney Weaver's character has the hots for the mayor. She's kind of flirting with him, which is pretty messed up because he's got a wife and his wife is like right there. Isn't she at the wedding? Yeah. Yeah. She's always around. She's always around. I just thought it was kind of messed up that Sigourney Weaver like would even try anything like that or have feelings for. But then again, there's kind of a stark generational divide, right? So there's only three generations represented in this town. So it's a very new town. 
And they even kind of question throughout the film, like, was it the right decision to settle here? You know, so everything is kind of still new in terms of their settlement. And we get the elders, which, you know, are 50s, 60s years old. They're not terribly old. Um, and then you get the next generation, which is, you know, the 20, the early young 20-somethings. And then the next generation, which is like five or six years old. So that's really it. So not a lot of people to go around. And right. I think most of these elders kind of came into it already married, I think. So it's slim pickings. Um, so uh, during Kitty's, Kitty's wedding, we hear like little kids screaming. And the kids came in and say that they saw the monster um, it's kind of, like I, I said, again, it's kind of ramping up. They thought, you know, the monster that came in a few nights before that that was kind of over, but now they're saying they saw it again. And so it's kind of just instilling more fear in the townspeople. Um, we go to the next scene where Ivy is talking to Lucius kind of away from the wedding and they're sitting on a porch and she's being very flirtatious with him again, because that's kind of her personality. And She's being very forward and she's very confident. She's very brave. And Lucius kind of gets put off by this in this moment um, because she's kind of rushing his emotions and his ability to act on things, but he's had his whole life to act on it. And so I kind of get where she's coming from. Um, if it were up to him, he would probably wait 10 more years to tell her that he loves her. <laughs> Because uh, it doesn't seem like any time is a good time for him. So she kind of she kind of pressures him to profess his love for her. And, um, you know, even though he's kind of, I guess, a little bit uh, emasculated or maybe not as confident that he had to do it in this way, uh, they still kiss at the end. And it's very sweet. And they, they are very poetic about their profession of their love for each other professing, I'm sorry, of their love for each other. Um, so they announce their marriage. I guess that's how you propose to somebody is <laughs> you guys kiss. <laughs> now you're stuck. Right. So they start telling all the townspeople. You're getting married next week as soon as you say you're getting married. Right. Seriously. <laughs> it's like literally her sister just announced it and got married and now they're announcing it and they're getting married next week. So um, the whole town now you know, knows about Lucius and Ivy getting married. And, um, you know, Noah's a very sensitive, you know, person. And he, like I said, he feels very protective of Ivy. And it's almost like this, like, sisterly uh, bordering on, you know, romance for him. Because uh, I don't think he can quite differentiate between the two uh, because of their dynamic, right? And how they grew up. Um, so Noah goes to Lucius's house and, you know, he, he tells them that he knows that they're getting married and they're kind of having a very casual uh, conversation. But then we see that uh, Noah stabs Lucius in the stomach and it's very dramatic, you know, because you don't really see it coming at all. There's no animosity really uh, between Noah. It's kind of something that happens very quickly. And he's confused, you know, like Noah's kind of confused why he has these feelings and why he's doing what he's doing. And like he knows what he's doing is bad, but he also can't help it either. And even when Lucius is on the ground, you know, um, bleeding, he stabs him again in the chest. And, um, you know, he's kind of uh, scared, you know, he's confused, he's scared. And so he, you know, runs away. And um, 
you know, it, it gets out, you know, because the door was open. It gets out that Lucius is hurt and it gets to Ivy. And then she, you know, goes to the cabin where Lucius is and she finds him right away. And she, when her dad shows up, she says, I, I can't see his his color, his aura anymore. It's, it's, I can't see it. So he's dying. And she's very terrified. She, she does a great acting as like being distraught. Like her crying is really, yeah, really good. It is. Um, so this is pretty devastating. And um, they put Noah in the quiet room. Obviously they got to keep him away from other folks. Cause he's kind of ramping up um, his, aggression i guess or his violence you know at first it was like hitting here and there but now he's actually done something pretty devastating that you can't really come back from and um and so ivy goes into the quiet room with noah and she just slaps the shit out of him (laughs) she just just oh man i'm surprised that she didn't hit him with her cane she probably did to be honest um and it's it's very sad too because like they have such a close bond and he, you know, promised her he wouldn't ever, you know, hit somebody again. And she's, she's very betrayed by this, uh, from him. And, um, it's just very sad. So, uh, we get this idea that the mayor has taken an oath not to leave the town or the village. And, um, they keep referencing this, that, the elders have all taken an oath. They say, in order for this to work, we cannot leave the village. And um, one of the elders says to the mayor, remember, it's you who took the oath. So um, then, you know, he's kind of got this idea. Well, I took the oath, but my daughter didn't because <laughs> she was born into this town. And so they, well, I can't say that elders decided, the mayor decided um, that, Ivy would go out into the forest and go get medicine for Lucius because he is not dead yet. He is dying. But if they don't do something fast, he is going to die. And so um, Ivy has no reservations about going out there and finding help. So he allows his daughter to go, you know, with two guardsmen, two watchmen uh, to go out there. And right before she does, he goes to a shed that is the shed that we are not supposed to, you know, uh, go into or whatever they call it the shed that must not be entered and he says i'm gonna show you something but i don't want you to scream and i'm like oh that does not sound good <laughs> um and we don't see what it is we'll find out later but we don't see what it is for right now um, we just know that she's very brave and he tells you know he tells ivy a story about uh his own father and He said, you know, your grandfather was a very rich man and, you know, he didn't really quite know how to handle so much money. And, you know, he was a very hard worker. He was very smart with money. But once he had it, that's where the problems kind of came in. And money can make people do terrible things and it kind of ruins societies. And he tells her that her grandfather was killed in his sleep. And I think he was like shot in the head or something like that, which... I don't know if he tells her that right then and there, because I don't know if she would even know what a gun is. So we kind of get this idea that, you know, uh, the grandfather, it kind of seems like all these elders keep telling stories of people that they have lost to like some sort of crime. You know, another elder said that her sister died by essentially being raped and beaten to death and left in an alleyway by a bunch of guys. And so we're kind of getting these tidbits of, okay, all these people have lost someone to like a terrible crime that could have been avoided 
And so we get the uh, next scene where Ivy's going out into the forest with the two guys, um, which is uh, Michael Pitt and Franz Kranz. And they're a bunch of wussies, in my opinion, because they are scared. They, they're they so scared that they ditch a blind chick yeah, in the do. forest <laughs> because apparently her magic rocks didn't work. <laughs> she got some magic rocks. <laughs> she, they're like, how come we have not heard of these magic rocks before? <laughs> so I thought that was pretty messed up that they're like, and, and it does look very cold. Like, it looks very, very cold in the scene that they're in when it's raining. And, like, there's a bunch of, like, frozen ice on the trees and stuff. I mean, I'd be out of there just because I was like, it's just too cold. I'm not even scared. I'm just cold. Uh, so once they leave her, she kind of dumps out the rocks because she's like, I don't need these anymore. <laughs> we find out that this whole thing, like, she knows what's what's up. And the magic rocks were just more for the guys than they were for her. Um, to kind of keep up this this facade of going forward and being protected by the monsters. Uh, so we get a scene back to when her dad showed her the shed and she goes in and she's like touching everything and she touches what is the monster. But we realize it is a bunch of costumes of the monster. And then we get the whole reveal that this whole folklore that her dad has been telling people is actually fabricated by the elders and it's a whole like organization kind of thing that they've been keeping up to scare the villagers into staying put right and uh to be to have like a common enemy right to bring people together and um that's kind of like the first big reveal you know and and it's kind of the reveal in the whole film right it just kind of develops from there there on it does um you know and and uh she takes it pretty well. And the reason why he knows that he can tell her this is because he knows that she'll want to keep this a secret and she'll understand the purpose of why they're doing what they're doing. So that's why he trusts her a lot because of her her devotion to this whole village and, and the people in it and also her maturity in, in understanding the the purpose and the, the end goal of it. So... Ivy, you know, is walking around in the forest and she falls, she almost falls into a deep asshole. <laughs> and she's barely hanging on for dear life. She crawls out. She's all covered in mud now. Her cloak, which used to be yellow, is now poop brown. And then she's like walking and then her her stick breaks and she is just having a really bad time. So now she doesn't have a stick. She's cold. She's muddy. It sucks. So she ditches the the cloak in just her dress and she just moves forward. There is a scene where she's in the forest and there's a monster in the forest and you're thinking, okay, well, if he told her that the elders are doing it, then who the fuck is wearing the costume chasing her? Cause that's messed up. And, um, you know, there was like some discourse with some of the elders not agreeing with her going into the forest, but nothing to the extent of them doing something like this. So the monster, you know, it's a very intense uh, scene where the monster's chasing after her. And um, she, you know, there's like this field of red berries that she's in, but, you know, she doesn't know that she's in it. It just adds for a dramatic effect. And she tricks the monster into chasing her and then falling into the same hole that she almost fell into. So she's able to kind of get her sense of direction based on like some of the landmarks in the in the forest. And she's able to trick the monster into 
you know, uh, running full speed into the hole. And we find out it was Noah the whole time uh, who was wearing the costume. And it was also Noah that was like killing the animals and skinning them. And I'm not too sure. I think he he got into his parents who his parents are one of the elders, the elder couples that came into the town that established it. And I think they had mentioned that he got into the box and he was able to figure out what they were doing. And so he wanted to be like them. So he was, I guess, in his own way, trying to help, right? This is kind of how I interpreted it. So he was trying to help, but he just kind of took it a little too far. He didn't really know where the line was. And he ends up dying at the at the bottom of the hole. And it, it's very sad because even though his character kind of kills people and stuff, um, it, it's a very, uh, I guess you still feel for him. And uh, so anyway, so his parents are distraught and everything. And even the, um, I think even later they say that they're going to bury him and just not tell people what happened and just say that, you know, he died to preserve the, the community, right? You know, he, he allowed them to live on in this lifestyle. And so they're just going to treat him like he got killed by the monsters. Uh, so Ivy keeps going forward. Uh, she reaches a, a kind of like a fence and it's covered in Ivy, um, which I don't know if her name was intentional or if that was just coincidence. I don't know if it had any significance, <laughs> but um, she reaches it and then she crawls over it somehow, which must be uh, pretty, that, that must have required like a lot of dexterity to be blind and then cover, uh, climb a fence uh, when you've never climbed a fence before. Uh, so she gets to the other side and this is kind of like the second reveal. <laughs> um, it's, there's a road, a paved road, um, and then there's a guy driving in a Jeep that shows up. So it's definitely not 1897 <laughs> if a guy in a Jeep is, you know, pulling up. And he's kind of like a ranger uh, for this, you know, um, this park or something. He's got a hat on that says Walker Animal Sanctuary. Uh, we, we know from, like, the conversations that Ivy's had with her father that her last name is Walker. Her name's Ivy Walker. So there is a tie-in, and being that her grandfather is was a rich man, we just kind of assume that her grandfather owns this park, right? Yeah. And so she's talking to the guy, and he's kind of confused because um, she's wearing like old-timey dress and everything, and she's talking like an old-timey person, and she has no idea where she is. And she's like, I, you know, I live in there, and he's like, What? You live in there? And so <laughs> she's trying to get all this medicine. And she has it written down on a piece of paper. And she says, I need you to get this for me. And you could take this, you know, golden locket as payment. Um, you know, please help me. Somebody's, you know, in dire need and I need to get back to them. Otherwise, they'll die. So he just tells her, you know, please stay here. And he goes back to the uh, ranger station. And his uh, manager is sitting in the ranger station reading, you know, a newspaper. And I guess the newspaper is like the, the, um, the crimes of that day. You know, there's a bunch of stuff on the newspaper about people being shot and all this stuff, corruption. And um, he walks in and we kind of already know who the, who the manager of the ranger station is. It's M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't show him full on, do they? It's just like a reflection. I think it's the back of his, oh yeah, a reflection yeah. in the medicine cabinet. Oh yeah, that's right. When he opens the door, it's like his reflection. Yeah. Yeah, because like in some movies, he's very, uh, covert about you know his being in the in the movie and then others it's very overt that he's in the movie so this one's one of those like covert situations where you don't really see 
uh, too much of him, but you know, it's him. And he's talking about, you know, to the ranger guy, (laughs) the ranger guy kind of comes in and is trying to be all sneaky and try to sneak the medicine out of the cabinet and um, like all the penicillin and stuff that they keep for animal bites. And uh, M. Night Shyamalan's character is talking about like, you know, oh, what happened to that girl that you called in? And he's like, oh, just a bunch of teenagers. And he tells him, well, don't don't talk to anyone. Like, don't say anything because, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, there was some government guy that started talking and he was saying that some people got paid off to not fly planes over this animal sanctuary because it freaks out the animals or whatever. And uh, he goes, it got out and it's just made my life a living hell. So don't don't screw me over because <laughs> I don't want to go through that again. And um, it's kind of a silly conversation that he has because he's kind of like a, a bitter guy. Um, and so well, he's got a cushy job now. He does have yeah. a cushy job. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, being a ranger, it's kind of boring. <laughs> <laughs> it allows for a lot of downtime. But man, it is a cushy job. Um, so we kind of, um, we, we get like a scene back to the elders, right? And they, they kind of open up the boxes and we, we see what's in them. And there's kind of like, it jumps back and forth between Ivy, you know, reaching her destination and them, uh, revealing like how the, the village started. And it's revealed that these boxes contain all of the records and photos of these people who had lost others in in violent crimes and saw the greed in society that money created and how, um, you know, everything was corrupt in their eyes in the modern world. And they wanted to take a step back and go back in time and to the good old days. Right. And they wanted to recreate a society where they can live in peace and harmony and, and not have to worry about any of that stuff. And the, the mayor of the town, he was the one that kind of put it together and he was the one with all the money from his grandfather. And, you know, he says that his grandfather was shot in the head uh, by a business partner um, because of money and greed. And he taught American history at university, university of Pennsylvania. And he says, uh, you know, I'm a professor and and I want to try out this experiment. Right. He's like, I've been thinking about this for a while and I want to try it out. And it seems like it, you know, for all intents and purposes, it worked. Um, because they they've been there for um, at least twenty at least twenty years they've been going at this so um, it seems to be like it's the two the like when this movie came out essentially that's the time period that they're actually in in two thousand four and um, and so uh, we see the the ranger guy come back to Ivy and she's still standing there cold he gets a ladder too because he you know wants to help her out with getting back over the fence. He gives her all the medicine. He says, here you go. Uh, he doesn't give her back the locket, which is interesting. I would definitely give back the locket because <laughs> that's a pretty nice locket. Uh, but maybe he needs it, you know, for himself to make sure he's not crazy. <laughs> and uh, she goes back over the fence and she makes it back to town. And, you know, it, it's all kind of assumed at this point. Very M. Night Shyamalan kind of ending that everything is all right and Lucius doesn't die and they get married. I mean, they don't show this, but that's intended, right? Right. Or uh, implied that they get married and life goes on. And um, that's it. That's the end. Where you kind of feel good at the end. It definitely is. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, thank you for guiding us 
around the village, out of the forest, out of the woods. Oh, yeah. Thanks for uh, joining the tour. <laughs> Great tour. Don't forget to visit the, the gift shop. The gift shop on the way out. Yeah. yeah. It's just over the fence, but you got to go through the forest. <laughs> Watch out for the hole, too. All right. This is part of the show where we give our reviews of the movie. And as always, you can skip to this point and get our reviews before you watch the film or you can watch the film and go through the podcast as we recap the movie and we'll let Azrael kick off the reviews for this week. Okay. Um, so this was my second time seeing the movie. Like I said, I saw it in theaters when it first came out. Obviously I missed a lot of it because I only realized what was going on towards the end of the movie, you know, seeing it again, obviously there was clues early on that, you know, what was going on, there was something hidden from the people, but I think an, an aerial pointed out in the beginning. Uh, and I agree that the, you know, the atmospheric cinematography, I think it's the best part of the film. It really does help that, uh, the supernatural ominous feel throughout the movie. Uh, the big message I think uh, with this is, uh, how easily fear can be used to control people. You know, they kind of disregarded logic for safety. I think that's like the biggest message that I take away from it. And, uh, I think at the end of the film too, he, kind of leaves it to you what do the people continue on living that you know she doesn't tell anybody i always wonder that so i would give this movie a 6.6 6. i really don't have any problems with the movie i think it's something that uh, i'd watch again you know maybe once a year but it's good to return to it what is your year. item of reference what's that what is your item of reference for your 6.6 6? oh like another film like how i came up with it no 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 i mean like 6.6 6 out of 10 Oh, uh, costumes. <laughs> oh, yeah. 6.6 6, uh, porcupine monsters. Porcupine monsters. <laughs> porcupine I like monsters. that. My bad. Hedgehog porcupine boar people. <laughs> yeah, <poor> people. <laughs> I <forgot that> part. <laughs> All right. Awesome. I'll go ahead and go next and we'll leave Ariel for last since it is her movie pick. Now, if you go into this movie thinking it's going to be a horror film, straight up horror film, it's not. It's It has... A lot of things going on in it for you to solve and figure out in the more times you watch it. I think the more things you'll see, maybe even earlier on in the movie that you did the previous viewing, that's kind of the feeling I took away from it watching it again. And the twists may or may not shock you or excite you or you might have seen it come in, but it is, you know, definitely a good twist for the movie. And it adds to the movie, you know, and it's a Shyamalan movie, so you kind of expect it, kind of expect him doing that or something like that. But overall, I do like the movie. I, I do like that it's creepy, especially at the beginning when you don't know what's going on and there's monsters in the wood and you think you're back in the 1800s or whatever. So I would say definitely give it a chance. It's it's a fun watch. Um, there is some love story in it, so be forewarned. I say that because my son hates love stories. I will give this a strong six little red flowers out of ten. I think we might go all sixes on this one. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yeah, like what you guys said, uh, the cinematography, the score is excellent in this film. Um, I just feel like this film was really well done. And everyone took it seriously. You can tell that by the acting I also read that the actors had to go through like a boot camp where they had to live as colonial people to mm. kind of get prepared for this role. Interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. So I thought that was a pretty interesting tidbit. Just 
that M. Night Shyamalan, he doesn't, he's not like a Kubrick where everything has to be perfect, but he does take it very seriously. And there is a level to his movies where things are very well thought out. And it looks like there was a lot of planning involved and a lot of detail that was taken into account. And so this movie is very good for that reason. Um, But like you said, it's, it's not, it's not really a horror film. It has horror elements, but in terms of what we would think of as like an M. Night Shyamalan horror film, like it just doesn't, it's not the same. And I think ever since, ever since, you know, um, we've seen like some of his debuts, he's kind of gotten away from horror quite a bit. And it's more like thriller and suspense at this point. Um, So, you know, it's just very unsettling kind of weird movies that he does now, uh, with the exception of Devil. Devil was a horror film for sure. Um, But this one, not so much. Like you said, there's kind of some whimsicalness to it, kind of like Lady in the Water. You know, it's very much like that movie that he did, um, kind of fantastical in some sense. But uh, I did have issues with one aspect of this movie, and it's just a personal kind of note that I didn't like. I didn't like that he made the the character with special needs to be the bad guy, kind of. I didn't I didn't really like that too much. And that for me didn't really hold up over time as well. I'm sure that he could have found other ways to to still tell the story. I just wasn't sure if that was the best way of doing it. Right. Um, because I, I do feel like it does have negative impacts on people with um, maybe, you know, needs like that, you know, that get represented at a bad light like that. Sure. So that was my only problem with it is I think that I think with him like stabbing Lucius was fine. I just the whole dead animal thing was a little a step too far, in my opinion. Um, that was pretty evil, you know? Yeah. So that part I didn't really like too much. Everything else was fine, though. I think that was it kind of made sense, you know, that he was trying to be like one of the elders. He was trying to help them out in a sense. But I feel like that whole animal killing thing was a little too much. And so because of that, I do give it a six out of 10 wooden boxes. And I would definitely recommend this movie to a lot of folks. Uh, I think it's it's one of those movies you got to watch once because even if you know the twist, like let's say you listen to this podcast and you watch it, I guarantee you'll still enjoy the ride, even mm-hmm. if you know what's going to happen. I agree. All right. All right. Well, there you go. Definitely six out of ten from us. So as soon as you can, stick that on your list and give it a watch and maybe let us know if you've seen some things that we didn't see. Let us know. And if you want to contact us, you can always hit us up on Facebook at Stories to Dismember or Instagram or TikTok. You can search Stories to Dismember as well. You can send us an email at Stories to Dismember at gmail.com. And you can also leave us a text message at 817-405-4196. We'd love to hear, hear from you. Can you talk? Let me say that again. We'd love to hear from you. There you go. So join us next time when we cover... Azrael's pick, the 2006 movie, The Wicker Man, starring... Starring Nicolas Cage. Oh, you stole my thunder. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I love Nicolas Cage. Even when he makes crappy movies, I still watch it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And you know what? If you don't like Nicolas Cage, you know, tweet us. I want to know who you are. (laughs) I want to see your face. I'm going to put you on the list, buddy. I want to know who else you follow. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So... Hope you enjoyed this episode and make sure to join us next week and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Stay out of the woods. Ta-ta. Stay out of the woods. Yeah, stay out of the woods.
definitely watch out for them holes oh yeah thank you for listening to the stories to dismember podcast please be sure to tell your friends subscribe and leave a rating you can contact us at stories to dismember at gmail.com and we'd love to hear from you you can also follow us on tiktok at stories to dismember the music for stories to dismember is provided by one feather can't wait to hang out with you next time bye-bye